0: I mean, these are beautiful concepts, but many times it doesn't work out, right? I want us to see tonight that although Adam and Eve stayed married, there were some things that didn't work out for them. You see, the first marriage wasn't perfect all the way through, but listen to this, and this is the crux of what we'll learn tonight. The first marriage was not perfect through and through, but it was perfect by design. Alright? By design, marriage is perfect. It is our sinfulness that causes the imperfections. And the big idea for tonight is that your marriage has been redeemed. And like I said before, these lessons that we're learning can affect every relationship that we have. So your relationships, broken with friends, with family, coworkers, people in authority over you, your relationships, have been redeemed. And so often, we focus on individual redemption Okay, so I am redeemed by Jesus. I am bought back. We had that whole sermon series on Hosea and how beautiful the picture of redemption is. I'm saved. So often we focus on the individuality of it, that it's me who's redeemed, that it's you who's redeemed, each person. And we forget that God is corporate by nature in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like we just spoke about in the Apostles' Creed, and also by practice. He encourages his, crea- his creation to be a part of relationships together. And these relationships are a part of the redemption. So, let's dive in to Genesis chapter 2 and follow this story of the first marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 is where we'll start. And we're going to see that this first marriage, like I said, by design, was Perfect. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, this is after he had created, okay, then he, say, he speaks and he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. This is pre-Eve, okay, only the man is there. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. This was Adam's job, to name the animals, right? And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Say unashamed. Unashamed. They had no shame. They were naked. felt no shame. The first marriage was, by design, perfect. It illustrates the relationship that God has with himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are eternally loving toward one another. They are eternally united to one another. They are three persons in one. All three equal. Yet, they have very distinct roles, right? I'll talk about this after the fall happens, uh, but just to stick it in your head at the beginning, our fallen, um, I wrote it like this in the notes, and it didn't underline it, so I'll say it. Our fallenness, is that a word? Anybody? Anybody? Shannon's an English major. Is that a word, Shannon? Fallenness? Oh, I thought she was an English major. Our fallenness screws that up. Our fallenness takes what God made to be perfect and messes it all around. So, in the New Testament, which we'll see later, when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands... Our sinfulness pushes back at that. When Paul says, husbands, be ready to die for your wife, like Christ died for the church, we want to push back at that. Because it says that we're created equal, yet that does not sound equal. You see, the Trinity is a great picture of that perfection and how it works. How Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are perfectly equal in Godhead. Yet, they have distinct roles, which involve submission at some times, laying down the life of one at others. Okay, so we'll see that in a minute. But this first marriage was perfect. By design, it's a reflection of the Trinity. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Why do you think Adam was so excited in verse 23, when Eve finally hit ground and was made. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, the reason that Adam was so excited that Eve had come on the scene is because he was looking around at his selection that he had for a helper and he wasn't exactly liking what he saw, right? I mean, he named the livestock uh, no heifer caught his eye, as it were. He named the birds of the field. I don't know what your view on dinosaurs is, but the pterodactyls weren't doing it for him. The cardinals, even beauty clothed in red feathers. He didn't do it. He named the beasts of the ground. Nothing. He couldn't find a helper suit for, suitable for him. So what did God do? He had created the animals from where? Quiz time. Where did God, out of what did God create the animals? The dirt, The earth. Out of what did God create man? The dirt, the earth. But how did God create woman? Out of the man, right? Verse 23 says, because she was taken out of man. Up in verse 21, it says that God had a deep sleep fall upon man. and While he slept, he took one of his ribs. Now, here's some interesting anecdotes that are not scripture, so they're not inerrant, they're not completely true, necessarily, but they're really interesting when you think about the science of this, okay? Because Genesis wasn't written as a scientific book, right? But scientists have gone back and studied, why did God create Eve out of the rib? If you Google that, you will find out that there is only one bone in the human body that can regenerate itself. I'll give you a guess. The rib. You see, some people used to think that men had less ribs on one side than women. Have you guys ever heard that before? That's not true. You can count your ribs. Everybody's got the same amount. But, I mean, if, if the first man got a rib taken out of him and created a woman, wouldn't you think we'd be missing one? No. Because the rib can be, uh, I don't know all the official terms, but there's a casing around the rib. okay? And you can, they've done this in surgeries for certain cancers and stuff. If you have cancer that's in your bone marrow, you can slip out a rib, and leave the casing, and a new rib will grow in its place. God took from Adam, out of Adam, and created woman. Not from the dirt, but from Adam. Many scholars believe that this is because woman is the crown of creation. Men and women, obviously, are God's favorite Right? The Bible says it like this. We are higher than the angels. And if men and women are God's favorite, women are like God's extra favorite. Or at least they were created finally. They were created last. They were also created after the entire stage had been set. God must have known that Eve would be a lot like my wife. Because she, we've moved a lot as um, a young married couple. And she loves, after moving, walking into a house that's already been set up. Now she likes to hang the pictures and, you know, rearrange the furniture 14 times. But if she could just walk in and all the boxes are unpacked and everything's put away and she can just do her thing, that would be completely ideal. Why? Because she loves when she walks in the room and everything is prepared for her. It shows a few things. For one, it shows that probably I took the time to do all of that, right? But also it means that there's less work for her to do. It shows that she's important. This is what God did. God and Adam together did this for Eve. You ever think about stuff like this? This marriage was perfect. The stage was set. God said, all right, it's time to make Eve go to sleep, Adam. Pulls out the bone, makes the woman, and she steps onto the scene. And their marriage is perfect. God is there. He presides over it. The two became one flesh, like we talked about before in the Trinity. Two equal people become one flesh. Um, You've heard it spoken in marriage ceremonies. What God hath put together, let man not separate or put asunder which is a fancy way to say separate. And finally in verse 25, there was no shame. This marriage was perfect. But it doesn't take long before we get to Genesis chapter 3, where the marriage, the first marriage that was perfect is ruined. Listen to chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I submit today, here's my hypothesis. The reason that those fancy, beautiful, elegant words that I spoke from a marriage ceremony earlier don't translate practically into our marriages? It's because sin controls our marriages now. So pre-fall, right, the fall of man is that first sin right there. Pre-fall, the marriage was perfect. They both did what they were supposed to do. They, they practiced inside of their roles. They were equal. It was perfect. Post-fall, everything fell apart. What's the first thing that the Bible says happened? They opened their eyes, and what? They knew that they were naked. First, they're unashamed. Now, they're ashamed. So what did they do? They tried to fix it, right? They sewed together fig leaves to make themselves clothes. Sin has changed things. The first marriage diverted off course. And now, it's not what God intended it to be. So we can say the fancy words, we can have eloquent eloquent ceremonies, make these big, huge, gigantic promises, like, till death do us part. But the fact of the matter is, when we enter into that type of covenant, covered in sin, it will never be as perfect as we make it out to be. It's ruined. Sin has ruined marriage. It's ruined it in several different ways. We alluded to this earlier, but what about the idea of submission? Submission to each other. You see, Christ said, uh, uh, excuse me, God says in his word that each are created equal. But they have different roles Listen to how this is like the Trinity. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, Christ is praying. He's about to go to the cross to be crucified. And listen to his prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What is Christ doing right here? Submitting, right? He's submitting to the authority of his Father. You see, Christ is fully God. Yet he knows that his role is to submit to the Father. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 29. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is, he, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also a wife should submit in everything to their husbands. Does that sting a little bit, wives? It stings me to hear it. I'm a husband. You know? It's off-putting to us. It's offensive, kind of. Listen to what it continues on. Verse 25. "'Husbands, love your wives.'" his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. This is a strong challenge. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, be perfect. I know that sometimes it seems like the women get the short end of the stick, but the truth of the matter is, neither one of these challenges are practical in this current state that we're in right now, where the first marriage is ruined, where our marriage is is ruined. You see, in sin, neither one of these is possible. The wife cannot fully submit to her husband. The husband can certainly not be just as Jesus was to the church. In a fallen marriage, which is trampled by sin the husband will, instead of loving his wife and laying down his life like Jesus did for the church, the husband will rule over his wife. And the woman, instead of submitting humbly to his leadership, will desire to be in power. In a redeemed marriage, though, listen to this. In a redeemed marriage that's clothed by grace instead of triumphed by sin, The husband will love and serve the wife. Kneeling before her, washing her feet, ready to suffer and even die on her behalf. And the wife, seeing this sacrificial love, will desire to submit to his leadership. And to be the helper that God has created her to be. Confident in the person she is, in Christ. You see, what our sinfulness tells us is, if you humbly submit to someone, you have no self-worth. You have no self-confidence. You are even sometimes lost. And you've heard, maybe you've heard, um, people say that I've lost myself. I feel like, I mean, I don't have any power. I don't have any words. I don't have any say. Have you guys heard these things? You're not, no, I'm thinking, yeah, I've heard those before. But see, that's because sin is triumphing there. And probably because sin is triumphing in the husband as well. And instead of him loving and serving her like the church, like Christ does the church, he's using his authority to rule over her. It's biblical too. This isn't just my thing that I made up. Listen to Genesis um, chapter three, verse 16. This is during the curse. God is cursing man and woman for their sin. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your chain and your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for, that word can also be translated against, your husband. It doesn't mean like husbands want that desire to mean. Your desire shall be for your husband. It doesn't have a positive connotation. It's negative. Your desire will be against your husband. It will be after. You will desire after him. And he shall rule over you. You see, this part of the Bible can be taken way out of context, right? Someone could read this and say, look, this is God's design for marriage. And sometimes we even think that. This is God's design for marriage, it's part of the fall, it's part of the curse. The woman is going to want to rule the man. The man is going to rule the woman. And that's just how it is. But that's not the truth, right? That's not the end of the story. Because the marriage that is ruined is not over. This first marriage that was ruined by the fall did not end in ruin. The first marriage was perfect. first marriage was ruined. And lastly, the first marriage was redeemed. Right? How dare we look back at Genesis 3 forgetting about Jesus and say this is how marriage is supposed to be. The husband's going to rule over the wife and the wife is going to hate it. And that's just how it is here on earth. That is not true. That is not the gospel. It is only in being reconciled to Christ that we can be reconciled to each other in our marriage in our friendships, in our work relationships, in our family. It is only by being reconciled with Christ that that Genesis 3 curse loses its power. And the marriage goes from ruined to justified, to righteous, to perfect, to blessed. Listen to Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7, what happened when God, um, sorry, when Adam and Eve decided that they were going to fix what God had done? The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves clothes. You see, the first thing that happened when they found out that it was ruined was they tried to fix it. But it didn't fix the problem, did it? You see, in verse 21 of chapter 3, we see something better than their original fix. We see that God says, listen guys, these fig leaves, they're going to fade. They're going to tatter and they're going to fall off. And he sacrificed an animal. And he put skins on their back. And he covered them with the blood of a sacrifice. He already started at the very beginning of the ruined marriage. God began redeeming it. And that was a foreshadowing of what happened on the cross. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile himself to all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the first marriage was perfect. It was the perfect union of two becoming one, just like the Trinity is the perfect union of three becoming one, or three being one. They never became one. They always have been one. But it was ruined by the fall, and Adam and Eve scrambled, and they tried to fix it. And they tried to get their stuff together. But it was, it was helpless. And then God stepped down in the form of man. And he showed us that nothing is impossible. That song we sang at the beginning. Nothing is impossible with Christ. The ruined marriage, trampled by sin forsaking all of those covenants that were made in the presence of God and all of the friends, can be redeemed. And my challenge for you today is to understand that it has already been redeemed. Redemption has already happened. It's not something we wait for. Redemption happened on the cross when Christ reconciled to Himself all things. And now we have the great challenge of understanding number one, that that's not an individual reconciliation. But it's also corporate. And that we can have redeemed marriages that do great things for the kingdom of God. What if Connection Church was the place that became known for people who were in redeemed marriages. Where husbands loved their wives like Christ loved the church. Willing to lay down their own desires. Willing to do the dishes whenever they were not asked. I said that the way I wanted to, just so you know. Where husbands understood that their wives... Desire to be talked to, and more importantly, listened to. What if the husbands of Connection Church realize that the reconciliation they have with Christ is also reconciliation for their marriage to the one who has paid the price for the sin? and lay aside their own desires in every way, in their career, in what they think the family should be, and where they think the, the house life should be like, laid down all of those desires, submitted them to the Lordship of Christ, who is their head. Because often, Genesis 3 comes back into the man's head and says, you are to rule over your wife. You are the Lord of your wife. Lest we forget, men... We are under the lordship of Christ. We are only the head of our family so much as Christ is our head. We have no right to be the head of our family if Christ is not our Lord. And if that happens, you watch wives come out of their shells and have a personality and have confidence in being submissive to their husbands. Husbands, why don't we give our wives someone to submit to? Why don't we man up and sacrifice for the women who God has given us as a crown of his creation? Why is it so offensive for for women to submit to their husbands probably because their husbands aren't very worthy of submission. In, England, uh, in America, we call that, the husband doesn't wear the pants in the family. Not because, a lot of times, not because the wife took them from him, but because he was too lazy to ever put them on in the first place. Church, your marriage your friendships, your work relationships, your relationships with your estranged family or your close family, your neighbors, your landlords, those relationships have been redeemed. How about we as the church submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and see what amazing things He can do in our marriages. Not just over the next four weeks. But for some of you, single people, what He can do in your future marriages. And what we'll learn in at least one week, some of us, some of you single people, what God can do through you without ever being married. The point is this. The first marriage was a foreshadowing of the final marriage. It's right there. Somewhere. It's in Ephesians 5, verse 25. If you want to put that up there, Johnny. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up to her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water of water with the word so that on their wedding day he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing That she might be holy and without blemish. This final marriage ceremony, this final wedding will be more beautiful and more magnificent than any wedding you have ever attended. The bride, who is us, the church, will be adorned in the glory of Christ himself as we are presented To our Redeemer. Your marriage has been redeemed. Live like it. Let's forsake the Genesis 3 marriage post-fall. Christ has handled that on the cross. Your marriage has been redeemed. Live like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, thank you for your perfect design of marriage that you have out of man fashioned woman so that the two might become one as a beautiful picture so that we might better understand who you are. Give us wisdom to understand that you have already redeemed our marriage and our relationships and call us to action that men would be men who seek the lordship of Christ in their lives who love and serve their wives just as you did the church that women in seeing that sacrificial love would be confident in who they are in Christ and submit to that headship, knowing that in essence they are submitting to you. We love you. We ask that you would do great things in our marriages. You would do powerful things in our lives. And we trust that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.